Okay, it's on this week, so it's all good. Let's pray and we'll get going. Father, I love you. I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for uh, your word and I thank you for your truth in our life. Um, God, we at times um, think we have things figured out or uh, even when we don't, we just attempt things that um, we probably shouldn't. And and God, we have all uh, of your truth in our life through your book. And so I pray that uh, as we dive into it today and as we use it to uh, examine uh, our marriages on Saturday nights through the class and as we just use it in our daily reading to just uh, have nourishment for our soul, Lord, I pray that you are speaking to us and I pray that we're listening. Uh, too often we think, I'm just not getting anything out of the Word, but it's because we just don't really want to hear what you have to say. And so, God, I do pray uh, as we jump back into this today and, and we uh, wrap up this stuff that we started last week that uh, you would just uh, say the things that you want said and um, just remove me uh, out of the way is uh, too often I try to interject things that really don't matter and I pray that it's just your truth that's being uh, revealed and so uh, I do pray for those who are out uh, for different reasons there's a lot of people traveling right now and a lot of things going on and uh, just the Passpoint class uh, alone has a lot of people in and out and doing different things. And um, at the same time, Lord, I do um, pray for uh, the Hedges family, pray for Elizabeth, Lord, pray for the doctors as they uh, continue to try to uh, pin down uh, how to uh, get the infection taken care of and get her back on her feet. And I pray for uh, just Miss Amy as uh, she's uh, just dealing with all of this and um, taking care of Elizabeth while Brian's been out and whatnot. And I pray you just give Brian wisdom as he uh, tries to uh, handle multiple things as he uh, typically does. And so I pray you just speak to us today. Uh, give us a good day in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, that's where we're at. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of review, but not a lot because we need to get done. Um, sorry for being a little bit behind uh, schedule today, but... Um, the title last week and this week as well to, to wrap it up is um, Haters Gonna Hate. And I don't know why that's just what it ended up being. It is what it is. But that's where we're at. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, the, the topic here is, you know, Paul had just got done answering a bunch of questions that they had been asking uh, of him. And so, you know, the book kind of breaks down that way. He, he rebukes them for several things that are going on. Then he takes some time to answer the questions that they had asked. Uh, on marriage, on things that they could and couldn't eat or shouldn't, shouldn't be eating. And then we get into chapter 9, and he's still answering a few questions here. Uh, and so after chapter 9, uh, he switches gears, and he starts to give um, some more deeper doctrinal teaching. And so we'll have to slow down a little bit once we get into chapter 10, because I don't want to... You know, too often that's what happens. When, when, when somebody feels uncomfortable about teaching something... Hey, you dropped that. I'm totally kidding. Uh, when, when you feel uh, uncomfortable about uh, teaching something, uh, you see, it seems like they just kind of push through it. And I don't want to do that. I want to take my time and I want to, you know, there's some deeper stuff when we start talking about, um, you know, spiritual gifts and just all those different things. And so we, we will kind of slow down a little bit and, and go through that. But anyway, um, the, the topic here is basically, uh, as a whole, should a quote-unquote pastor or missionary uh, receive money from the church. And that's kind of the topic that he's talking about. And so uh, I had three ways for you, three ways the opposition is going to attack you from afar. And this happens in your own life. So you might be thinking, well, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I don't get any money from the church. And so what, is, what are you talking about? Well, there's still things that we ought to know. And this is what happens in our lives is people like to throw darts from a long way away, right? Uh, it's kind of like the way, even if, I don't know if you pay any attention to current events and things that are going on, but like the war that's going on, it's completely different than the war, like when you go back to World War II or World War I. And I was kind of fascinated with those things when I was in school, but uh, the warfare today is completely different. Uh, you fight a war from 
hundreds of miles away, you know, and it's completely different. And that's kind of what happens in our lives is nobody really wants to confront you with anything, um, but they want to throw darts from, from afar. And uh, it's the passive aggressive culture we live in. And, you know, it's up to us to uh, bear the burden when we need to uh, and also um, promote Christ as we should through all of it. And so uh, the first thing, let me just read through a little bit of this, and uh, I've got a little bit of review, and we're going to get moving to the last point. And so verses 1 and 2, he says, Am I not an apostle? It's kind of like out of the blue, because he just got done talking about something different, and then just out of the blue, he says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have not I seen, or have not, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am unto you. For the seal of mine apostleship are you and the Lord. And one of the things I think I missed last week, and I want to make sure you get when we talk about these things, is he says, even if you, even if I'm not an apostle to all these other churches, which you, I don't know if they just weren't believing that he had done the work in other places as well as what he done there. But he, he says, even if I'm not an apostle to them, am I not to you? Have, like, I'm here. I've got skin on. Like, you've seen it with your own eyes. Sometimes we don't believe, you know, think of uh, uh, Thomas in the Gospels, and he was like, I just don't believe it. And Jesus was like, all right, stick your fingers in, man. Like, here it is. And even then, it's just like, whoa. And so, so sometimes you have to see it to believe it, and that was this thing. And so the first way that the opposition will attack you from afar is they question your identity, right? They question your identity, and... Here's a couple of things that as I was reviewing this, uh, you don't have to flip there, but you can if you want to. Matthew uh, 12.33 uh, is just kind of a little... Let me do this so I don't lose my spot. Matthew 12.33 uh, says... No, 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 it's on a different page. Matthew 12.33 says, uh, either, make a, uh, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Jesus himself says that. Jesus himself says, you're going to know what truth looks like. You're going to know what a Christian looks like. Right, an apple tree grows what? Apples, not oranges. Right, and you can't you 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 can't fake it. You can fake it for long for, for so long, but at some point there's going to be fruit. And the question you have to ask yourself is: Do you have fruit that can prove who you are? If they're going to question your identity, the best question you can ask is: Do they have fruit? Or not they? Do you have fruit that you can prove who you are? Obviously, we have our identity in Christ. We know that. But you know what? Sometimes you're going to question. People start throwing darts. People start questioning you. What authority do you have? Why do you, why do you live like that? And you start to question yourself. The best way, the easiest way, is what can you see? What have you seen in your own life? What has God done in your life? Not just in everybody else's life, but like things that you've written down in your Bible. I can't believe this happened in my life. Do you have fruit that can prove who you are? You know, I could come to a point where I'm like, maybe I'm not everything that God tells me I am. But, you know, I look around even in just, just this room, and like there's fruit to God's account that he allowed me to be a part of. And so it's like, do you have fruit that can prove who you are? Because that's the best way that you can have assurance of your identity. Uh, another passage, John 10, uh, you can flip over there if you want to. Uh, I'm going to read it. Uh, John 10, uh, 25 to 30 says, Jesus answered them, right? And so they had been uh, questioning him like they always did. And Jesus answered them, I told you. And ye believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not my sheep. And I said unto you, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then they start thinking like, you're, you're basically claiming that you're God, and they want to stone him. That's what the next verse says, is they're going to they're try to stone him. But one of the coolest things that you think about in, in the culture that they lived in, you know, we don't have a whole lot of shepherds around here anymore, right? We've got cattle farmers, but uh, even then the cattle come running when they see the truck. But with a shepherd, you would have multiple flocks. Uh, I've heard this taught before. And so you would have multiple flocks together, but they would only follow their shepherd. And that's what he's referencing. He's like, my sheep know my voice. They could be, he could be like, all right, it's time for us to, to move on our way. And you know, you've got hundreds or, you know, who knows how many sheep combined with all the other ones. And, well, how are we going to sort them out? Well, he makes his little noise, you know. Well, whatever they do, you know, you click at them like you do a, a horse or, you know, whoop, whoop or whatever. And he's like, okay, that's, that's, my, that's my shepherd. I got to go, right? And he's like, peace out. We got to, yeah, whatever, man. You know, and, and it, but, but the same way that we know our father's voice, like he is our shepherd, you have identity in that. There is no like, well, I wonder, you know, if Christ, he did all of that for you. You know, it was, we talked about um, this recently. I don't remember when, but, you know, it, it's when your sin becomes exceeding sinful in your life that you finally turn to the goodness of God. It's only when you realize that it's not, you know, the fact that Jesus died for the world. It's when you finally come to the realization that Jesus died for me. It wasn't like, yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, Jesus died for, for everyone. But it only becomes real when you realize it was for me. Like, he would have done it if it was only me. And so, like, that's the shepherd we follow. And he, he know, we know his voice. When people question your identity, when they say, you know, well, you're not acting like a Christian. You're not living like it. Well, maybe you're not. But get right. The point is, like, they question your identity. Jesus, Jesus knows you. You are his sheep, and you need to know his voice. Like, you need to know. When, you ever had a time in your life where it's like, uh, yeah, that's dad calling, and if I don't get things figured out, um, there's problems coming, right? You know, we live in a different culture now, but it used to be like, you know, you send the kids out and, you know, be home by dark or, or whatever, and it's different than that now, but we have security in the fact that, like, he is our father. There is safety in that, and when they question your identity, just understand, like, you know his voice, and he knows exactly how many sheep there are. And that ties really well into the passage where it says, man, you fall wayward, uh, he'll leave 99 of them to come find you and carry you back. And he, he will. He'll do it. And so anyway, that's, that's the, the first point. You know, they question your identity. It goes on uh, to say, I know we read through this last week, but I'm going to read it again. Um, in in uh, chapter 9, verse 3, it says, My answer to them that examine me is this. So if, if you're asking questions, uh, here's, what, here's my answer. Have I not power to eat and drink? Or have we not power to eat and drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles and the brethren, the Lord, and Cephas? Or I only, Bar- or in Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? Who goeth uh, a warfare any time in his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Or who eateth a flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith uh, the law all the same things also? So basically he's saying, like, the entire world lives on this system of you go to work and you get something in return. But yet here I am working for the Lord and you're claiming that I shouldn't get anything in return. But okay, fine. He goes on to say later, just in case you're wondering, uh, I wouldn't take any money from you guys anyway because it would 
totally destroy the testimony. But I'm trying to prove a point. He's like, this is totally real. He goes on to say, um, for it is written in the law of Moses, and we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of oxen, or saith he altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he, plow, uh, the, he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth should hope... Uh, Thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing that we should reap unto you carnal things. He says, I've given everything I've got to you. Like, I just, can I feed him? Can I at least have something to eat? You know, it's not like he was out there, you know, pastor in the next mega church. You know, I, I got another swimming pool I need to put in the backyard, right? We're going to add another, whatever. I don't follow that kind of stuff. But like the second way that they question you from afar is they, they question your income. And you might be like, well, what do you mean? Well, that's what they do. They question how you got to where you're at. Um, they, you know, even in the culture we live in today, well, I wonder what they do. He must, he must have inherited a bunch of money, right? They must not have to work very hard. And like, have a testimony of you worked for everything you got. Right? Have a testimony that you worked for everything you got, and also have a testimony that you would give it all away if Christ told you to. Because it's not yours in the first place. Too often we get so caught up in um, building our earthly kingdom, right? And oh, I've got to build my portfolio, and I've got to build you know, my house, and I've got to do it. And, and I know you guys look at me and you're like, well, you guys built a house. and you, We did, but it was for the ministry of Christ. I think we do a good job of using it for the ministry of Christ. And we also have the mindset of this if at any moment God says, sell it all, we'll do it. Without question. If at any moment God says, like, it's time to go, you know, I've got a spot for you. Um, I, I'm not tied down to nothing other than Christ and my wife. I mean, I, that, that's, that's just it. I mean, that's, that's the only two things that I have a hundred. I mean, obviously we've got kids to raise, but at, at the end of the day, I, I'm going to do what he says to do. And so it is good to manage your wealth, right? And so we're going to get into that one of the nights at the marriage thing. But at the same time, don't get so consumed with it that that's what's controlling you because, man, it'll happen, and it happens quick. Um, I remember it was there was times in life where, not that we have any really money now, but I remember times in life where we didn't have nothing. I mean, we're talking like nothing. And it just, life was simpler then. Um, so don't get consumed with it because it, it will consume you. So, But they question your income. Uh, verse 11, I want to, uh, he says, If we have sown unto you spiritual things... Is it a great thing that we should reap unto you carnal things? That's his question. He's like, he basically boils it all down to, if I have, if we, meaning him and Barnabas, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing? Is it really like a, a, something hard for you to understand that we should reap unto you carnal things, meaning monetary value, you know, food, something or another? And, you know, Romans 15, let me flip over there, uh, Verse 25 to 27 says something that kind of ties into this. I know we just taught through Romans not very long ago. Romans 15, 25 to 27 says, But now I go into Jerusalem. This is Paul, uh, again, talking. Uh, and he had been uh, visiting the churches, and he's getting ready to go back to the Jerusalem church, the, like the, the home church of this whole thing. And he's telling them a story. And uh, he says... Let me, 25. Uh, he says, But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and of Achaia, that's where he was at, that area of the world, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and 
And their debtors are they, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto their carnal things. Basically, these churches in Macedonia and Achaia are so burdened with the fact that there are uh, widows back in Jerusalem and, and things at the church, and they're like, you sent somebody to us to tell us the good news. Man, it, the only thing we can do is, will you take this back as a gift to them? You know, and let me just say, it, it may have been a monetary gift, but I've been places in the world. I remember uh, when we were uh, in India, out in the, the middle of nowhere, like, when it come time to do offering, like, they were bringing chickens. Uh, they were bringing uh, this, the craziest things, because that's what they had to offer. You know, some of them, yeah, they were tossing, you know, pennies in the bag, but, you know, that's how they supported their pastor, um, was any way that they could. And so, like, Paul's using this as, this is just a really good example of the Corinth church is so carnal and the fact that they're so caught up in their monetary things that they miss out on the, the blessing that comes with giving back. And these guys were like, man, Paul, you came and you told us and you didn't have to. But it wasn't just that he didn't have to. Too often we miss this. We give the missionary so much credit. Uh, the church that sent the missionary, they didn't have to. They could have kept him back. They could have kept him for their own work. And no, they sent him. And they're like, here, take this back. Uh, as, as just a gift. And so that's what he's saying. And, you know, it's a desire, not a requirement. That's one of the coolest things out of that passage is it was a desire of them to send it back. It wasn't a requirement. And I'm not talking about tithing. You know, we'll have a time soon enough where we're going to get into some tithing talk because it comes right up in the passage. But for the most part, like, it's a desire to give back, not a requirement. You should have a natural desire. You should have a burning desire inside of you as a saved, born-again believer to do something for Christ to get involved in the ministry, to make an impact in people's lives. That should be a desire you have. And guess what? It's not just to be involved in the work, but it's also to be involved in you know, supporting what goes on around here. It's not a requirement. It's a desire. It's something that should just burn inside of you. It's something that should convict you to your core to be here week after week and see everything that's going on with all these different people and be like, well, I'll be back next Sunday. Yeah. Those things should convict you. They should, and I, don't, I know I'm preaching to the choir because I look around the room and y'all are so busy with ministry that it's not even... But I just meant in general, when you're, when you're looking at things like this and you look back at the, the church in Corinth, man, they're carnal. And that's why we're going through this because we don't want to end up where they're at. And, you know, that's what happens. And so it's a desire, not a requirement. Verse 14 back in the passage also says... Um, let me find it. That's not the right... It's right here. Okay, uh, verse 14 also says... Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Okay, so he's using this as an example. And he says, the, the Lord hath ordained this. This was God's plan for people to be sent out to do his work and that you know they would probably not have to have a full-time job along with it. right? And so we know that we call uh, pastors who have a, a job outside of being a quote-unquote pastor, we call them bivocational, we call them tent makers because that's what Paul was, uh, whatever we call them. But basically, we just know that you know, they support their, their self. And so I, I don't consider, I know Brian uh, says that we're the pastoral team. I'm not ordained. I don't really consider myself a pastor, but I have a job. <laughs> I go to work every day. Um, there's only a couple guys here, I think we talked about this last week, that actually do you know, get a, a, a check from HBF, and I promise it's not, you'd be embarrassed. Uh, but, but the point is like, it was God's plan to have the church support the leaders. Like, that's the structure involved in it. And he says, Even so hath the Lord ordained it, that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And I read that, and we're like, okay, we get the doctrinal context. The church should support the pastor, right? The church should support the leadership. They just should. That's part of it. 
But take it to your life, because I know you're like, well, I'm not a pastor, and uh, I give, so let's move on. Um, Take this one step farther in your own life. If you're going to preach the gospel, you better make sure you're living the gospel. If you're going to preach the gospel, if you're going to go out and put your little Jesus sticker on your car, and if you're going to go out and uh, post your little Jesus post on Facebook and you know all the different things, and, you, and you're going to... Because here's what happens, uh, and I'll, you know me, I don't really hold back. Uh, we live in a culture where uh, we're a bunch of posers, and I don't mean us at HBF, unless the shoe fits, I don't know. But we just, we like to uh, gain from affiliating with Christ, but we definitely don't like to give when it comes to affiliating with Christ. And I don't mean just monetarily. And so uh, we need to make sure that if if we're going to have that testimony of, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I follow Christ, yes, I affiliate with this church, yes, I affiliate with being uh, a Christian and all the things that go with it, you better make sure you're living it as well. Because if your words and your actions don't line up, you're a hypocrite, you're a phony, and you're a fool. And that's just what it boils down to. Uh, if your words are Jesus, your life better also be Jesus. Right? And I think it's in James, it says, uh, let our conversation, right? And that basically means our testimony. Let our conversation be as that become with Christ. Um, that we need to make sure that our daily lifestyle, we kind of talked about this last night a little bit, our daily lifestyle is promoting what our words are promoting. Because if they don't line up, then something's messed up, right? If they don't line up, something. you can tell me all the day long that you're, you know, you're following Christ. You can tell me all day long uh, that you're uh, of the, the, the root of, you know, you're of the vine of Jesus. You can tell me all day long that uh, you're grafted in. I'm just saying, man, if there ain't no fruit growing, at some point I'm going to question uh, what's going on here, right? What's Jesus say? He's like, at some point, if this thing's not going to grow anything, I'm going to hew it down uh, and see what happens. You know, we'll start over. And that's obviously not a picture to the church. It's a picture to the nation of Israel and the fact that if they're not going to get right, then he'll replace them with something else. And I understand the doctrinal picture. But we can take it applicationally and say, man, if I'm not going to get right, Jesus will use somebody else, and he will. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but have you ever been in a situation where maybe you were so busy, you were so caught up, you were, it just didn't work out. People asked you, like, hey, can you be involved in this? Can you help with that? And, and you probably had a good reason to be like, I can't this time. Right or I, I, not this time. And maybe you didn't have a good reason. Maybe it was you know you wanted to go watch the football game or whatever. I don't know. Maybe whatever it is. Um, and then you know from afar, a week later, two weeks later, a month later, you see God just totally blessing what they could have been a part of. It's just like what you could have been a part of. God's just like magnifying, and it's like man, I really should have jumped in on that. Right? God desires to use us. I more than you even understand. He desires for you to be a part of what He's doing, but. Man, he won't wait forever. And that doesn't mean you won't have another opportunity. But what I'm saying is he won't, wait, he won't wait forever. He's got work that's got to get done, and he will find somebody that's willing to do it. And it, I'll just, I've had those opportunities, and I've passed them up, and I've seen them, and I've been like, man, I really wish I would have been a part of that. You know, here I am over here working my tail off on something that's got no fruit, and you know, maybe I should just follow Jesus more. Anyway, that's just me, but it, that's, he goes on, he says all these things, because he says, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done, uh, that it should be done unto me, for it were better for me to die, uh, to die, uh, to die, than any man should make uh, my glorying, right? He, he's, he says, basically, I never even asked any of this of you. I, I didn't want any of it of you, 
I never asked you because I know how y'all are. Maybe you'll get your heart right someday, and maybe you will give. But at this point, that's not where I'm going, right? And so they question your identity. They question your income. And then the last way, and honestly, this is probably the most personal way, is they question your integrity. There's not a lot that a man has other than his name. And I want to be a man that has a quote-unquote good name. I want to have a name that promotes Christ. I, you know, it's... It's kind of like I grew up in an era where um, a man's handshake meant something, right? And so, you know, people always, you know, I, I don't know, I honestly don't know where I learned it, but when I shake somebody's hand, it, you know, I, it's just where I grow up. It's, it's the way I was taught, I guess. Uh, actually, I, I did, I wasn't taught it. I remember shaking somebody's hand. I actually, it just came to me. This is crazy. Uh, my brother had a friend, uh, and the guy's probably lost his ball in tall grass. I don't know. But anyway, this has nothing to do because I was lost. But I remember shaking the guy's hand one time, and he gripped my hand so hard. And, you know, it was just – it, it left an impact. And I'm like, man, I'm serious about when I shake somebody's hand, I, I do. I, you know, that's none, – none of these, like – and I'm, I hope I'm not offending him. But none of these, like, girly handshakes, guys. Like, get, it's got to mean something. Huh? Yeah. yeah we're, not doing, no, we're not doing that, right? The same way, like, uh, your handshake needs to mean something. Your word needs to mean something. Your name should mean something, right? And so that's what we're talking about. When, when they question your integrity, he, he finishes up this passage, and we'll finish the chapter next week. But in verse 15, he says, But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these to you, that it should be done unto me. Meaning, I don't even want you to send anything to me. For it were better for me to die than any man should make my glorying vain, or glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Uh, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Man, if that was our testimony. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? That's the question. What is my reward then? Verily that, verily that, that I preach the gospel. When I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, and I may uh, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. So what he's trying to say is he wraps this whole section of uh, up of it really has nothing to do with you guys giving to me in the first place. Um, it really boils down to why I do what I do, and that should be your testimony as well. It really should boil down to why do you do what you do. They question your integrity. He says in verse 15, But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things unto you, that it should be done unto me. For it were better for me to die. What? For it were better for me to die than any man should make my glory in vain. Keeping your testimony. Now, track with me here because this is... Keeping your testimony should be more important to you than keeping your life. And I understand you're like, well, we don't live in a culture where it's like that. And Okay, I'm just saying. Um, you're right, not yet. Um, Keeping your testimony should be more important than keeping your life. In recent history and parts of the world, some of the places we were at when we went and uh, did some stuff in India, we obviously know in, in Muslim countries that it's like this. Like, you're going to keep your testimony or you're going to die. Which one is it? Uh, well, Christ gave everything for me, so I guess if my head is what you want, you're to take it. You know, and obviously, we don't sign up to be martyrs because we want to. We sign up to be martyrs because we're called to. Not everybody's called to it. That's why there's a martyr's crown in the Bible. But the point here is uh, keeping your testimony should be that important to you is what I'm getting at. I understand that we don't have to decide when we walk out of here today, you know, live or die, you know. But what I am saying is if it did come to that, what would your choice be? How, how all in are you? Because Paul was all in. Paul was all in. It, it should be more important than keeping your life. Uh, flip over to Acts chapter 20, verse 24. A couple of, you know, these are just testimonies of Paul. 
in these kinds of things. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. Paul says, But none of these things move me. Meaning, this new doctrine, all the attacks, none of it moves me. I am on solid ground with Christ. None of these things move me. Neither count I life, uh, count, neither, I can't talk, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to, uh, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I live for one purpose. It is to give God glory. I live for one purpose. It is for God to have all of it. Now, I get it, because y'all are real and I'm real. I struggle with that sometimes. Uh, There's just days that life is, let's just call it hard. Life is busy. Life is hectic. And, you know, you find yourself maybe not doing the thing that you know you ought to do. Or, you know, desiring to want to do the right thing, but then getting caught up in... You know, Romans chapter 7 talks about it. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do, but I don't do the things that I ought to do? And, you know, it sounds like Dr. Seuss. But what he's trying to say is we battle the flesh, but we can have glory over the flesh through Christ. But it's only through Christ. It's only when we decide, yes, that's, the, that's my choice. I'm all in. You can have it. My life, yeah, I guess if that's what you want, fine. Take it. Right? There, there, was only, there was only one time in my life, and I don't think it was any... We were in D2 when I was talking about this. There was only one time in my life when I got to a point where I was like, okay, this is, this is a little outrageous. Uh, we went on a trip to Nepal uh, after the earthquakes. And I, some of you I've, I've probably told this story to, but uh, forgive me. We're almost done. We go on this trip and uh, we find a Kathmandu. We're going to build temporary shelters for, the, for these people that have you know, never heard anything of Christ. They've never left their village. So anyway, we, we get on, we get the... the the material. We're basically building Quonset hut style buildings out of uh, corrugated metal and uh, bent rebar. And it's just something to get them until they can rebuild their mud hut that they're living in. And so uh, we drive several hours outside of Kathmandu to basically we're in uh, the lower elevations of the uh, Himalayan mountains. And it was cool. Uh, not temperature-wise, it was hotter than you know what, but it was just that time of year. But anyway, so we get to where I think we're going, and they stop the bus that we're on, uh, and they're like, okay, grab your stuff. And there's like a suspension bridge across this river, and I'm talking about this river is bigger than the Missouri River. It's huge. Um, and okay, so what, now what? We'll walk across, and uh, there's vehicle there that'll take you up the mountain. And they're like, this is the only way across. I'm like, why can't we, if there's a vehicle over there, why don't you just drive us over there? Because this thing's long. I mean, we're talking, it took a long time to walk across it. I've got videos. It's really cool. But it, when I say suspension bridge, it's not the most, uh, they don't build things the same way there. And you start to think to yourself, like, I've got a family at home. I, I, I'm here for a purpose, and I know God has called me. But at the same time, I don't want to just be flippant. So I'm like, okay, so wait. They've got vehicles over there. Well, yeah, because they took them apart and carried them over the bridge and put them back together. Like, that's how crazy this was. And so, okay, fine. We go. We get in the back of this truck. There's like six or eight of us. I can't remember. Pile into the back of this pickup. We start up this mountain road. And I've got video on my phone if you don't believe me. Like, there were places on this road where you would look over the edge of the truck. And I'm pretty sure I've said this before. If I would have fallen, I would still be falling. Like, that's how crazy. And, And they're just flying up this thing. And this is one of the few times in my life that I look back and I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I, not that I was scared, but I'm like, 
is this really what I signed up for? Like, if I die, whatever, you know, for me to die is Christ, or, or, or for me to, to, to live is to die and Christ is gain. I don't know, I just butchered the verse. You get what I'm saying? Uh, but I'm thinking back, and I'm like, I got my wife at home that I'm responsible for taking care of. I got, you know, younger kids at home, and, um, and I had to come to peace very quickly. Uh, I'm either getting out of the truck and I'm lost in the mountains, and I, at least I have control of the situation because that's me. I need to have control of the situation. Or I say, okay, God, this is all you. Um, and, like, I'm for real, all you. I, it's the craziest thing. But you get there, and then, you know, you see God work, and it's just amazing. But it, I'm just telling you, there will come a time in your life. It might not be in the Himalayan mountains. It might be driving down the road. I don't know what it is. There will, there will come a time in your life where you have to decide, am I really all in? And Am I really willing to trust God with not just my life, but my family's life? The things that he is... Because at the end of the day, do you really have control over anything? Ever? Right? No. Absolutely not. As much as you want to. As much as we desire to. As much as we think, man, if I could just you know, manipulate this situation. You have no control. God decides who goes and who doesn't. God decides who gets tomorrow. And praise the Lord for that. But stop trying to like manipulate situations. There will come a time in life where you have to make that decision. Or not only, yeah, I'm going to give my life, but what, what about this? What about, yeah, God's, God's got over that. He, he has got over those things as well. <laughs> and so you have to have peace in that. So keeping your testimony should be more important than keeping your life. Last verse, flip over to Philippians chapter 1, and we'll be done. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 to 23. And this just wraps up Paul's testimony as he's, this is just, he, he's not just saying this to the Corinth church that, you know what, for me to live, uh, you know, I, I just want to live God's testimony and I don't need anything else. If I don't preach the gospel, then, you know, woe unto me. And, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Oh, shoot, I had more stuff. Uh, I thought it was all on this page. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 to 23. Uh, says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, now uh, also Christ also be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Wait a minute. What? For me, but for me to live with Christ. Hey, this is that verse I was looking for. And to die is gain. For me to uh, But if I live in the flesh, it is of the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. But you know what? I'm here, and I need to be serving you, is what he says. I thought I was done. I'm going to give you a couple more quick points. I won't even give you the verses. I'm just going to get there. Verse 16, back in 1 Corinthians. i got to finish up. Sorry. You're going to, you're going to be late to whatever you were supposed to be at. Holy smokes. In verse 16, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Living for Christ will become a necessity and no longer just a desire. That's, that's what happens in your life. Living for Christ will become a necessity and no longer just a desire. You will not be able to live without it. Uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 62 is a reference for that. We don't have time. I'm sorry. You can write it down and go back and get it. Um, and then in John 6, 66 to 69, it's the passage that we use for why we call ourselves Passpoint. You know, basically Jesus says, you know, are you also going to go away? He's talking to disciples and Peter's like, where else are we going to go? Um, I, 
I've, I've just, we've, we've given it all to you, and like, this is our life now. Thou hast the words of eternal life. Like, that's where we're at. They, you have to be past the point of no return for Christ. There will come a point where it's like living for Christ is no longer just a necessity. It's a desire you have. It's not just because I get up here and, and, and rant and rave and Brian gets you all fired up and, you know, the Word of God says you should and, you know, it's still a fight every day. It becomes something that's just like a burning desire inside of you to give Him everything you've got even when you don't even have anything to give. That's when you know that you're past the point of no return to a point where it's like if everything in my life crumbled around me and everything was to go, if my wife was to be like Job's wife and say, curse God and die, I would still be at a point where what else am I going to do? All I can do is, is follow Christ. That's what past point's about. And in verse 18, I'm sorry, I'm out of time. He says, what is my reward? Then I want to leave you guys with this. Verily that when I preach the gospel, I make the gospel of Christ without charge. And I abuse not my power in the gospel. I'll just leave you with this question. So what is your reward then? Basically, here's the question. Boil it down. And you can ask yourself this, something to kind of ponder on, to chew on this week. Why do I really do what I do? Why do I really do what I do? And it could be the, the way that you present yourself in Christ. It could be the way that you present yourself as a phony to the rest of the world. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying you, you get to write the story. Why do I do what I do? The way you, you answer this question is, is going to reveal your true integrity, no matter who questions it. Integrity is the only thing we got left. And the way you answer, why do I do what I do? Why do I get up in the morning when I'm tired? Right? Over and over again to try to, to get stuff put together. Why do I... Why do I do what I do? Because the way you answer that, man, it really defines your integrity in Christ. And you know, you want to say, you know, why, you, why you're firing shots at me? I mean, it doesn't matter who's firing. If you know that you're standing on solid ground, it doesn't matter. Okay? Sorry I went over, guys. I really do. I thought I was at the end, and then I forgot I had put more notes on the second page. And so, well, forgive me. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. Uh, Lord, I do pray that... Uh, you would just really prick our hearts as uh, we get busy doing a lot of things, God, but I want to make sure that, at least in my life, I'm doing them for you. Uh, Lord, I, I do pray that when I ask myself the question, why do I do what I do, it's only because of you. It's only because of what you've done for me, and I just feel like that it's just a desire to give back everything. Uh, that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 calls us to do is to present our bodies a living sacrifice, not just you know some of our time or some of our money or you, you want it all. And then he basically says, that's the least we can do. That's your reasonable service. You know, that's the least we could do is give you everything. So God, I pray that you would use these things to, to just maybe get us on track uh, or keep us on track, one or the other. I pray for Pastor Brian as he preaches today. I pray for his family as uh, they're going through some things with Miss Elizabeth. And I pray that you just uh, heal her up and uh, give her body uh, the, the, the things that it needs uh, to work with the antibiotics and uh, just get the infection out. So, Lord, I just pray for them. I pray you just bless your word this morning in Christ's name. Amen.